Hey fans, welcome to this week's edition of the Yellow Jacket Experience. I'm your host, Thomas Poole, Director of Athletic Communications here at AIC. This week, we are joined by women's rugby student-athlete Hiwi Latu, as well as head men's ice hockey coach Eric Wang. Hey fans, I'm here with Ahiwi Latu, uh, the women's rugby team. Uh, thank you for joining me. Of course. <laughs> so this season, uh, we know that you guys have played some really tough teams uh, and at the same time battling a couple injuries and here and there, but you guys have really been able to put together a good competitive squad. Can you talk about the team and how they've battled through, through adversity this year? Um, well, like, it's kind of hard because we have a lot of incoming freshmen mm -hmm. and like for a lot of them they're either not not too experienced but like I feel like it takes time to build that chemistry with them especially mm -hmm. because they don't know a lot of the other girls and a lot of them came in like um very scared very nervous to be playing like at a um a high level mm -hmm. And um, it definitely took some time for us to, like, connect with them. But that definitely, like, showed within this past, this last game that we just had, like, it showed, like, how much um, change and how much we grew together as a team from, like, day one and the first game that we played together. And then, like, later on in the season, like, we're doing a lot better connecting with each other. Mm -hmm. So looking at your schedule, you guys opened on the road down in Maryland against uh, Mount St. Mary and lost in 1917. So a real nail-biter right there. And then you turned around against Sacred Heart and took the 22-10 to 10 win. Can you talk about that growth from week one to week two that you sort of already hinted at? Mm, well, like a big problem that we had was like listening to each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we all like agreed that we should listen to each other more and be able to like take constructive criticism because a lot of us were just like oh yeah okay 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 but like not really trying to listen and like work on themselves and like individually and then coming together as a team mm -hmm. and that's probably something that you as upperclassmen already have a, a feel for obviously you played together for a couple of years and you're always adding those new players in but I feel like you guys have really had a good solid base of leadership in the past and that's been something that's helped you guys into the season yeah so what have you done as a leader on on the field and then also off the field to really help help bring everyone together um off the field like we came together I remember one time we came together as a team and like did um what's it called like team building exercises yeah but like more of like film like we were watching film okay. together mm -hmm. and we were talking about it and it was very successful because like we don't have film with our coach so mm -hmm. we took that upon ourselves because we wanted to do better like we wanted to work together and like really connect so that was a way um that we could like talk about it and then like figure out what we need to work on and like our weaknesses and then like work on that mm-hmm so this year you obviously have faced a couple of new rifles as you are in a new tier, including Mount St. Mary, who you saw for the first time. We've seen Sacred Heart a couple times in sevens, but not really 15s. And then ultimately Queens, who you guys played this past weekend. What's it like seeing new teams coming in and 
a new style of play, I guess, some of these different teams have? Um, I mean, for me, it's not really a surprise mm -hmm. because, like, I've played, I have, like, more experience, but I think it was more of, like, like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really sure, like, how my other, like, teammates feel about it, but, like, I feel like it wasn't too much of a change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and do you think that changes because ultimately at the root of it, it's still rugby? Or do you think that a lot of the collegiate programs are playing the same style of rugby? I want to say, like, the same style of rugby, like, mm -hmm. because it's such a, it's evolved a lot since I played in, like, high school. Mm-hmm. But now, like, I feel like a lot of people have, like, sort of the same, like, techniques and, like, it's growing. Yeah. So let's get to know you a little bit because that's ultimately what the point of this podcast is. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from? Um, well, I'm Alhili Latu <laughs> um, from Oakland, California. Um, I'm the baby of eight. Eight? Yeah. Oh, man, so you probably have uh, how many brothers and sisters? I have five brothers and two sisters. So you're probably very well watched over when, when yeah, you're back home. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm also the first kid to come to college. So Whoa, yeah. congratulations. That's yeah, a huge step. Uh, how has that been received with your family back home? Um, well, first off, like my mom, she was really nervous to send me all the way out here, especially. Mm -hmm. Um but I feel like it's helped me a lot, like, being out here on my own. And, like, my mom even sees, like, the growth in me. Mm -hmm. And, um, like, she's really proud of me. And, like, that's what I want to do is, like, just to make her proud. So Yeah, and it's always an interesting concept, especially when you're coming from across the country. Or I know we've talked about it with other guests, uh, the international aspect, to where it's really a huge family decision. Yeah. Not just, obviously, you want to make what's the right and best move for yourself, not only academically, but also athletically. Right. But your parents also have to be on the same wavelength as you do because, obviously, it's a family decision. Is that something that they were supportive of the entire time? Yeah. Well, at first, they she wasn't. But, like, now seeing me and where I'm at and um, how well I'm doing, mm -hmm. she definitely, like, supports me 100%. And, like, is just, like, really happy. Well, that's always a great thing. Obviously, having your parents, your especially your mother, uh, be happy and supportive of you is always a huge thing. Now, switching, how did you get into playing rugby? Especially because I know you mentioned that you played rugby in high school. And yeah. it's not a traditional sport that you see really across the country at the yeah. high school level. Well, um, my older brothers, like they played in high school. Mm-hmm. And I was really into dance. Like, it, a lot of um, youth girls at my church were trying to get me to come and play for their club team. And I was like, no, like, I don't want to hurt anyone. Like, my main thing was, like, hurting other people. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that. And um, I was really into dance as well, like, my freshman year of high school. And then starting my sophomore year, I was like, let me just give it a try. Like, maybe... Like, this was, this should be interesting. And then as soon as I started playing my first year, like, I loved it. Like, I fell in love with it off grip. And, like, I really enjoyed playing. Like, this isn't just, like, a sport that I play. Like, I feel real passionate about it, especially mm -hmm. because, like, you see a woman and you wouldn't think that they could play, like, a contact sport. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, I don't know. I just feel like a lot of us are looked at as, like, 
oh, you can't play that because it's a lot of contact and, like, you're not strong enough and little things like that. I just feel like it definitely, like, builds a woman and, like, we're really strong for, like, having to play this sport and a whole 80 minutes of it, like, so. Yeah, not only that, I mean, I think when we were talking to Fletcher, it's definitely, at least for her, the way she's described it and I've heard Tara describe it is when you catch that rugby bug, it's definitely something that just sticks with you and keep yeah. rolling with it. Yeah. Is that the way that you, you that feeling that you've yeah, had? Yeah, definitely. It definitely grew a lot more when I came to college as well. And why do you think that is? I feel like it's because I, I met a lot of different people. Like, you meet so many different um, players, like a lot of talented players too. And, like, you feed off of their energy and the way that they play. And, like, you're like, okay, well, I want to play just like that too. And then it kind of just, like, grows on you and like you become a better player you're able to like you know like work on your weaknesses and like strengthen yourself Mm -hmm. so what's your favorite part about rugby then or do you have a favorite single part I love going to practice practice yeah everyone is always like oh my gosh I gotta go to practice like I love it it's honestly like a stress reliever Really? I mean, because we all know the famous Allen Iverson press conference, the practice, (laughs) and that's practice is your favorite part? Yeah, like it is practice and game days. Well, I think it's interesting, at least for me, as a former athlete, I love game days probably a little bit more than practice, because don't get me wrong, I like going up against my teammates and everything, but at the same time, when you see someone in different colors lined up across from you, you just yeah, it, you're just ready to go. Yeah. And that hypes you up. Is that is that what you like most about game day? Mm-hmm. Definitely. So then, what is it about practice that really separates that from everything? Um, I'm able to like connect with my teammates more. Like we kind of joke around sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> and like our coach gets mad at us. But I don't know. I just feel like that. Um, that's like memories so that like you are like creating with like your teammates and like you could look back and be like oh well this happened remember when this happened like you know so like building those those relationships and yeah. just making those even stronger so yeah. then that way once you have what's going on the f- or off the field you can bring that hopefully onto the field mm-hmm. as well so looking at things coming up you obviously have your last game of the season against LIU it's a, once again a new opponent and what are your thoughts on that um I'm not sure. We we did play LIU last 15 season. I think it was a senior day. No, oh, that sounds correct. Yeah, but we they had like short numbers, mm-hmm. so we ended up playing tens. But going in this weekend, I, I don't know. I just have an open mind, and I hope that we can work together the way that we did against um, Queens because that was probably one of the best games that we ever played. Yes, it didn't result in that, but. Like, I felt connected with my team for once, like, throughout the whole game. And, mm-hmm. like, that was um, that was a real special game for me. Well, as we wind things down here on this uh, podcast, the one question I ask every single person who comes on to the show is, what moment in life has influenced you the most? Just a moment in life? Could it be, like, like a person? No, it can be a person. It can be a single moment. Just... What has influenced you, I guess, the most in your life? I want to say, like, my mom, Mm -hmm. because, like, she's a single mother. My father passed when, like, I was really young. And 
like she's such a hard worker and like she works so hard for us and every time I see her like she's always kept us rooted like my whole family especially me and like she's taught me and instilled in me like the power of knowledge and like furthering my education so Mm -hmm. that's why like I'm just like grateful to be out here and like grateful to like have this opportunity to like further my education because like power knowledge is power and like without that like you're really nothing Mm -hmm. so yeah so your mom is your biggest influence yes well and that i mean from us sitting here talking i could definitely pick out that vibe especially with the way that you were talking about that family relationship that you have and obviously at least in my family i've been lucky to have a good solid group of people to surround myself and who have who have really uh bought in and through everything that they can to support me and it sounds like that's the way your family is especially your mom yeah definitely um well thank you very much for joining us and uh good luck this weekend as you wrap up the season and uh, we're excited to see you out on the field come sevens thank you hey fans we'd like to take a break and thank sponsor cnw services partner of AIC for numerous years, CNW Services provides integrated facility services to more than 600 customers in the U.S., Canada, and Puerto Rico. With over 65 years of outsourcing experience, CNW Services specializes in maintenance and production maintenance, janitorial, controlled environments, office and mailroom, and landscaping. Welcome back to the Yellow Jacket Experience. I'm Thomas Poole, and I'm joined by head ice hockey coach Eric Lang. Thanks for joining me, Coach. Great to be here, TP. So, so far this year, obviously you haven't gone on the ice yet to compete against other teams. Can you talk a little bit about the preseason and, I guess, part of the summer of what your guys did to prepare for uh, the opportunity to defend the Atlantic Hockey title this year? No, it uh, was a really important preseason for us just in terms of um, being the best version of ourselves and one thing we have done with our strength and conditioning is we compare you to what you did last year Mm -hmm. and again comes back to making sure we get the best version of you and our guys tested uh terrific um and i i I thought it was really more so important coming off the success that we did have last year um and making sure we're still hungry and uh you know to date between our leadership and the culture of commitment we've built here, um, we're checking all the boxes. And, you know, we go through the month of September, and, and now we're into early October here. And it's time for us to see a different color jersey. We're kind of sick of practicing with each other and competing against each other. But um, so, you know, we'll, we'll go right in the deep end of the pool this week against a very good Quinnipiac team. Mm-hmm. Some, some think that, you know, could be a team that, that competes for a national title. And um, we're kind of excited to to gauge ourselves and and see where we are. I know one of the tests that you guys do year after year is a Heinz test. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about what that is and then uh, why you think that's an important test for your guys to handle? The Derek Heinz test is, um, you know, something that we did at West Point under Brian Riley's leadership. Derek Heinz was a West Point Army hockey player, lost his life, um, you know, overseas. Uh, defending our country Mm -hmm. and um, 
it was a test generated you know like i said the guys over at army started it and it's a uh it's really just all about mental toughness and your mental endurance and obviously there's a physical component it's a test i'd love to see every team in the country do mm-hmm. and it's just a small way for us here to kind of honor his memory and his legacy and, and basically what you do is you're 10 miles an hour at a 10 degree g- grade and you stay on that thing until it throws you off and um it there is a direct parallel between the guys that are able to uh test well on it mm-hmm. and guys us as a coaching staff think are mentally tough and um will give you a second and third effort once they're tired and um so it's uh it's a it's a great test. It's a great way to kind of complete your preseason. So one of the things, obviously, you're on the ice. You're playing against your own teammates every day. Has there been anyone who stood out or you think has made a, a good jump to help you d- defend the AHC title this year? Um, you know, the, the freshman to sophomore jump is probably the jump that coaches are in tune to the most. And a guy that has had a good preseason, uh, Jan Stefka, looks terrific. Um, Elijah Bariga, uh, you know, has gotten real serious about his conditioning. He looks like a guy that's going to take a step here for us. Mm-hmm. And then some of the younger guys, uh, Wilson looked terrific early for us, and, and unfortunately he's got a little injury going right now, but it, but he'll be a great player here. And Jake Stella and Callahan. And, um We've got so many guys, and we we don't have a whole lot of roster spots open. Mm-hmm. Um, like the internal competition for us right now is is pretty fierce, and and we want it that way. And um, you know we've got all these good young players. I don't know where we're going to get them in. <laughs> yeah, and that's always a great problem to have. And anytime you could have that internal battle, it definitely is something that raises that level of competition with the team. No, absolutely. And you know we're, we're a senior heavy team. We've got a lot of guys with a lot of credit in the bank for us and that have been given and will be given the benefit of the doubt because we've we've wore some scars together um but at the end of the day we're in the performance business and the accountability business and 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 if um we're not getting the production or guys are not meeting expectation i feel like we're uh, we're deep enough that we can get some young guys in so it's the best of both worlds for us right now i think uh, interesting competition that i would imagine is unfolding is the one for the starting job in the crease I know you have two very deserving candidates. Uh, obviously, Durante and Skog both have had pretty good seasons, amazing seasons um, the past two years, obviously depending on injury and other outcomes. But can you talk a little bit about that uh, decision and how that competition's going? No, that's a great question, Tom. The uh, There used to be an old adage in hockey, like if you had two goalies, you really didn't have one. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not the case for us here. We have two that we have a, a ton of confidence in. And um, Steph Durante has made a full recovery, and, and he's looked very good. And, you know, obviously we, we, we wouldn't have done what we did without Zach last year. So, um, you know, Zach right now looks like he'll, he'll be the starting goalie. And, um, you know, obviously we have to get Steph involved, and we, and we will need both of those guys. Yep. Um, the one guy that has been an unbelievable uh, pleasant surprise for us is um, Fisk. Mm-hmm. who we brought in here and being a third goalie in college hockey it's not a you know y- you take a lot of pucks there's not a lot of reward especially when you have two guys the way we we do um the one thing fisk has done is he's taken the pressure off us in terms of recruiting for next year mm-hmm. with zach going out we're looking at him going boy this kid could be pretty good 
and um, so that's been a pleasant surprise. He's a great kid and a great teammate, and um, we're actually excited about all three of our guys. So you mentioned to it earlier, you start the season uh, with a home-and-home home against Quinnipiac, obviously another solid team, a team that you're sort of familiar with, you've played over the past couple of years uh, since you've been here at ASC as a head coach. Can you talk a little bit about what you're expecting from this opening weekend? You know, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty in terms of, um, as a coach, you're, we're constantly thinking about what haven't we covered, what do we want to be good at, and it's a quick turnaround. Um, we won't get to everything. Um, we'll, we'll focus on three or four things this week that we want to be good at, special teams being one of them, uh, things that make our program successful. Um, you know, Quinnipiac, like I said, we're going right in the deep end of the pool here this weekend. And um, we're excited about it. And you know what? Uh, the Saturday game down at Quinnipiac last season, I thought was a um, it was a moment for our program last year that kind of got us going. Mm -hmm. They beat us up pretty good. We weren't even close. It was the worst game we had played all year. But I saw something in that third period in the, in the way guys cared and the way guys held each other accountable. And the game was, was totally out of reach. We were getting blown out. And I remember going back home that night, and I actually sent the mes a message to our team after the worst loss we had had maybe in two seasons, and I said, the fight I saw in this group in the third period leads me to believe we can win this Atlantic Hockey League. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, probably at the time, and we weren't playing very well, but at the time it, it looked like, uh, you know, it, it, looked, it didn't look real, but it was real, and it was yeah. something that we felt, and then it was a little... Uh, precursor to what we wound up doing but it was that weekend that we you know we got our teeth knocked in a little bit and um, kind of got us on track so switching gears a little bit uh, the big reason why we really want to do this podcast is to obviously show a spotlight on our coaches and athletes and we want to get to know you so can you tell us about your upbringing and how you were able to eventually make it to AIC as an athlete sure um I always tell people I'm a street kid from the Bronx, born and raised in the Bronx. Uh, not a lot of ice hockey opportunity, but um, fell in love with the game at, at an early age. Played a lot of roller hockey as a kid. Yep. Not the roller hockey that everyone typically looks at and with the inline skates like we played on roller skates. With oh, a, wow. With a the four wheels. The four wheels, <laughs> like the roller derby. And um, we used to use electric tape as a puck, and, and that's kind of how I, I got my upbringing into hockey. Fell in love with the game. Actually got involved in terms of playing ice hockey at a late age didn't play until I was about 12 or 13 years old oh wow um was a much better baseball player than I was hockey player in fact had had uh better division one opportunity in terms of being a baseball player but I liked baseball and loved hockey mm -hmm. I actually moved my stuff into St. Bonaventure University to go play baseball mm -hmm. at St. Bonaventure fresh out of high school and moved all my stuff in and um, packed up the car, six-hour, seven-hour drive to Olin, New York, mm -hmm. packed the stuff up, and uh, my stuff's in the room. I come downstairs, and I, I said, Dad, I don't want to do this. Oh, wow. And uh, my dad's like an old-school, you know, New York City-raised guy. He looked at me, and he, I knew like he wasn't going to help pack the car up. Yep. He said, pack the car up. And we drove back home from all in New York, back to the Bronx. I don't think we said two words to each other. And I, and he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I want to play college hockey. And um, 
I said, I'm going to take a year, I'm going to make a junior team, and then I'm going to play college hockey. And that's kind of what happened. That's exactly what happened. And uh, I remember him saying, well, you're going to work. Like, you're not just going to sit around and not go to school. And yep. Wound up getting a job with, like, Nabisco stocking shelves and played a year of junior hockey. And Rob Abel, who was the assistant here at the time, uh, was the one who recruited me under Gary Wright. And, you know, things are happened for a reason. And we're we're meant to be, I guess. And, uh, you know, I had as good a four-year experience here playing under Gary's leadership and learned more about being a great human being and, and, and living honorably and, and doing the right thing under him. And, you know, it wasn't always about wins and losses. And you didn't appreciate that stuff till you, till you graduated. But I wouldn't trade my four years here for, for any. And, um, you know, wound up being a captain here for two years, which I'm pretty proud of. And, um was a okay player, not a great player, but but certainly loved the sport. Well, and that's one of the interesting things. So, at least from my perspective, a lot of the most successful coaches are not necessarily the most impressive players on whatever surface it is. Sure. Um, can you talk a little bit about why you think that that might be the case? And obviously we've heard in the past Larry Bird, different coaches who have had some success, but at the same time um, – just don't reach that coaching pinnacle like they had the playing career. Sure, and I, and like Wayne Gretzky comes to mind, mm-hmm. you know, who who did it with Arizona. I think the, I think when the game kind of comes pretty easy to you, and guys can't do it the way you potentially have done it, I think there could be a little air of frustration there, mm-hmm. and um, and that's not always the case. But I I do agree with you. I think, um, you know, some of your better coaches are more of your blue collar players, guys that were. Um, how to think and compete and scratch and claw to kind of stay relevant. And I think they have an appreciation for guys up and down the lineup. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was, you know, I, I guess the case for me in terms of like I started late and I had to do everything I can in terms of, absor- you know, absorbing the game to, 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 to have a little competitive advantage. So, um, no, I, I agree with that. And, um, you know, I guess I wouldn't be able to speak on the on the side of if you're a great player, why you, you know, those guys tend not to be a, a good coach because I I don't I didn't check that box, but mm-hmm. there is a lot of parallels and you and you had mentioned a, a lot of them and when you look at the coaches that you know the the Brindamores and the guys that are Joel Quenville and and some of the guys in the NHL that are successful, they were they were good players, but they weren't you know you know Hall of Fame worthy players. So yeah, I think you're onto something. So then once you left AIC after graduation, what was your next step and where did you go from there? So I wound up working for a roller hockey company um, with actually Jimmy Hughes, who, who's got some pretty good uh, sons of his that are that are playing in the National Hockey League. And mm-hmm. um, Jimmy gave me my first opportunity. I remember like it was a week or two after graduation and we uh he picked me up in this roller hockey van and he goes we're driving across the country to sell roller hockey skates and oh wow yeah i didn't know a, a damn thing about sales or the business world and um but we john Tui, who played at providence and myself and jimmy hughes we got in the we got in this v van and we drove across the country for 60 days selling roller hockey skates and um I eventually stayed with that company for a couple years and, and played some roller hockey, which was my, like my upbringing and, and had a lot of fun doing that. And um, always wanted to coach, always wanted to get on that side of it. I wound up taking a teaching job at, at Archbishop Stepanak 
and coach their baseball team. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I'm 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 as proud of as anything I have done is I as I inherited a varsity baseball team that played in the top league in New York City that, that had not won a game. And three years later we, we were competing for the city championship. So it's a little similar script to, to kind of what happened here. Um but, you know, baseball was not my uh was not my area of expertise mm-hmm. in terms of knowing the game the way I feel like I know hockey but um it did teach me a lot about if you if you can um have create great relationships and create a culture and create a culture to of commitment I guess the sports are relevant and um so that's something I was proud of and and then Gary gave me the opportunity we always flirted you know he called we'd have a conversation every year you know when you you know if you're serious about this you need to do it and um, I did it 2006. I, I made the jump and was his grad assistant. And then, you know, I was there for two years. And, um, you know, Gary, I always say, like, you know, as one of these guys, he, he was tough to work for, but in a great way, delegated a lot of responsibility, had high standards of what was supposed to happen. And, um, you know, his attention to detail was, you know, something on a, on a different level. And, and, the experience I got under Gary, uh, there's a lot of how I coach today because of how I was coached by him, but more importantly, what I learned from him. And then, you know, made a stop at Manhattanville, jumped on the women's side, um, had a great uh, three, four-year run at Manhattanville on the women's side. Mm-hmm. And anyone that has an opportunity to coach uh, women's sports, um, it's really, uh, it's it, it's apples to apples in terms of their commitment to winning is no different than coaching the men. Um, the one thing I learned is I had to be a better coach is, is detailed in how I coach because they want the why. Yep. And ironically, like you fast forward to coach him in 2019, whether you're coaching men or women, they want the why. And that was a great lesson for me. Um, and, uh, was, was afforded the opportunity to jump on the men's side. And then, um, I ultimately needed to get back to the division one world mm-hmm. and, um, went and, volunteered for Brian Riley at Army and then was his assistant for I guess three years three or four seasons and we did what you know we you know we were the bottom of the league at Army and you fast forward two years later and we're we're in the final four um, of the of the conference championship something we're all very proud of and um, you know my experience working under Brian you know you you know the the level of care he has for his players is is uh it's learned in the fact that as I was, you know, kind of watching from a distance, mm-hmm. um, there's no one that cares more about his players than him. And, you know, he's uh, he's a rough and tumble in terms of how he coaches. He's an old school and he has high standards and you have to play a certain way. And what I learned was if you care about your players, you can push them into places that um, – you know, you didn't think they can go, and and that's that's you know one of Brian Riley's amazing strengths as a coach is um, the level of care and concern he has for them, mm-hmm. and then the ability to push them, and they give him everything he's got. And so, I always tell people I had two of the best mentors in the world, and Gary Wright and and Brian Riley, and you know eventually was uh, afforded the head coaching job here, and you know we're we're into year four already. Can't believe it. So one of the interesting things that you mentioned, which I think is always an interesting step, 
is there were two times in your career that you stepped off a ledge, I would say. Um, you obviously had a full-time job with that roller hockey, and then you took a GA job here at AIC. And then you had the Manhattanville job, and then you took off, took another step off the ledge and volunteered at Army. How have those two, I guess, how what convinced you to make that step to really chase after what your dream is? And how did that affect you and, I guess, push you to become a better coach? It's a it's a pretty good observation. I never really looked at it from that point of view. I heard a great line the other day. It was from uh, Hunter Golden here, and he said, "You can't be half a gangster. Nope. You're either in or you're out." And um, I felt at some point in in both of those things, I felt like you know maybe I was halfway in, mm-hmm. and you either got to jump in and do it, or don't do it. And um, you know both both opportunities, I, I went all in. And I'm lucky to have the the family life I have at home and a supportive wife that allowed me to do it. And um, you know that's a big component of these things because they're long hours and you miss a lot of things. And to have an understanding wife when you get home, and you know we've got weddings coming up, and mm-hmm. she's going by to them by himself, and you know you, you're missing some of your your kids' functions, and and that's never fun. But um, you're either in or out in this industry, and um, I'd rather be in than out. Yep. So rounding out the podcast, uh, the question I ask every guest is, what moment in life has influenced you the most? Boy, um, I think there's there's one, like just upon hearing it, there's one thing that comes in mind. Uh, Peter Szymanski was a teammate of mine, uh, childhood friend. We went to high school together. We were best of friends. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I can remember the day like it was yesterday. I was actually with uh, Rob Murphy. He was living with Rob Murphy, who was another uh, teammate of mine here at, at AIC, and, and we lived together. And we were watching the uh, we were watching the, the news, and we were both headed out for work. Mm-hmm. And um, they scanned this building in Hell's Kitchen, and it said, Tragic Fire on the west side of Manhattan today. And then they broke to a commercial... And they were going to come back with it, so it was kind of like a lead-in. And I said, "Murph, that looked like Peter's building. Let's let's not let's hang back here for a second. And um, sure enough, they they come back and tragic fire on 51st and 10th. And I knew he lived on the 15th floor. And when they scanned the building, I I was trying to quickly count how many you know terraces that I saw, mm-hmm. and I knew it was right around 15." Like, like I said, I can remember this like it was yesterday. And then they scanned this uh, white sheet over the body, and Murph looked at me and goes, those are Peter's sneakers. And we both drove right down to Manhattan that day, mm-hmm. and uh, his brother, Gene Szymanski, I said, Gene, don't tell me it's Peter. And he said, you need to come down here. And I knew it was Peter at that point. And, um, you know, obviously... We go down there, and it's the it's the worst of worst news. You know, the 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 fu- the buildings in Manhattan they have like these they're all fireproof uh, rooms, so one fire can't get to the next. Yep. And he was literally hanging out of the window. That's how hot the window was, and his fingers were all scarred up. And he tried to propel himself, and obviously it didn't. You know, it didn't work out. But um, I looked at that day, and I actually lost Chris McCoola was another classmate of mine mm-hmm. and I was going through pictures for Peter's wake 
And there's a picture of me. I was the center. Peter Szymanski was on the right, and Chris McCoola was on the left. And both of my line mates passed away at you know ridiculously young age. And I, I look at that moment as a as something that you almost ha you have to appreciate every day. You know, we don't get guaranteed tomorrow. And, um, you know, I don't live every day like it's my last, but I'm conscious of um, making sure while I'm here we appreciate everything that we are afforded to us. A lot of messaging I, I do to our team is about appreciating our parents and our loved ones and our sisters and our girlfriends and our wives and making sure you you tell people you love them and you tell people you care about them um, because you don't know. You don't know. And that would be a moment in my life that, looking back, um, although obviously unbelievably tragic, but it was the first thing that kind of came to my mind. So there you have it. <laughs> well, you never know what moments are truly going to hit you, and whether it's in that moment or it's something that you look back and you reflect upon. Um, and how it really changes your life. And I appreciate you sharing that story with us. No, thanks, Tom. This was great. Um, so I guess one last thing while I'm thinking about it is you're trying to help other people um, survive and fight cancer as well as we're doing the Real Men Wear Pink uh, fundraiser with American Cancer Society. Can you talk a little bit about that and um, what your goal is for this event? No, it's um, you know, Trevor Large over at Canisius. Uh, he's been doing it for a few years and he, he, it's something he's very proud of and when was asked about it I said yeah we, we would be all in on that and you know the you know cancer is cancer it doesn't discriminate black white yellow male female that has no you know we've all been impacted by it and um, it's just something for me it, it, it's uh, just creating awareness and if you know what if I you know a couple thousand Twitter followers and thousand people on Facebook can see that we're creating this awareness, and in the in the interim, we're going to raise a little money. That's going to um, we know the cause is a great cause, and let's just get behind it. And it's one thing. Um, it's kind of funny. You put some things out there, and you kind of look at the comments, or people are texting me, and I go, "All right, this is working. Mm -hmm. This is a good thing that we're doing here." And you know, we had a handful of our players go down to Hartford yesterday, and um, again, it's a it's a minor impact. It's very small in in stature in terms of of what I'm doing and Nick Collini's doing. But you know what, you know what, if we can reach out and touch a few people, let's do it. And if we can raise some money and and you know help get some of these breast screens that that some people just can't afford, then let's do it. And um, you know what, it's uh, it's a good thing and it's a it's a small little way to kind of give back. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Coach, and good luck this weekend. We need it. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Yellow Jacket Experience. I'm your host, Thomas Poole. This week at home, field hockey will host St. Michael's on Wednesday, October 9th at 4 p.m. On Saturday, we have a triple header starting with volleyball versus Pace at 1, as well as field hockey versus Stonehill at 1 p.m. Ice hockey rounds out the weekend with a 7.05 puck drop against Quinnipiac. We'll see you next week.